As we explore today the ways that each of us lets our love ripple out into the wider world, I have reflected on how that evolves from our experiences, passions, and our personal expressions of faith. I was raised in a fairly homogeneous dairy farm community in rural Wisconsin, and was also thoroughly raised Presbyterian from birth through high school. I mark as a turning point in my faith journey at age 17 when my parents, through my church, made it possible for me to spend part of a summer in Spanish Harlem in New York City. As a framework for the times, I will mention that while I was in the city in 1969, I was hearing about this unique music festival that was exploding in upstate New York. I worked with a young white couple in a neighborhood that was predominantly home to people of color. I was a scared kid. Some of the buildings uh, destroyed in earlier racial protests and riots were still piled in rubble, and some of the community lacked functioning utilities and even garbage pickup. This was a ne neglected area. The couple's focus was community building with families to access adequate nutrition and eat the foods that they loved on a food stamp or less budget. That couple chose to live in the community they served, also on a below poverty level income. Their positive, loving attitude was contagious. And I cherish them still as two impactful role models. I learned a multitude of lessons, including starting from a place of learning to understand the situation before promoting solutions. The impact of generational poverty. How to join with not thinking I could be the fixer and the concept of nothing about us without us. Primarily, I came back to Wisconsin beginning to understand being white and middle class. As a result, my faith evolved to become my identified mission in the wider world, to love and to learn. A shift from my view of faith as church on Sunday only. The notion that one often spends the first part of life identifying those gifts and subsequently matching them with what the world needs then made total sense to me. How best do we put who we are, what we believe, and let love fire our faith into action? I give gratitude to my parents for facilitating my New York and other experiences. They were insightful and courageous. I ask how we instill in our children the spark to put their gifts into action in service for our world's needs. I think each of us could name an impassioned educator or advocate whose words and actions have inspired us. Their energy, knowledge, and actions are contagious. One of mine, is early environmental activist and scientist, Rachel Carson, 
who espoused that this was best established in childhood with sensory and emotional experiences in nature, learning to love and care for the natural world. If they did, she said, they would have less appetite for the activities that threatened the natural world. In her book of writings, The Sense of Wonder, she also said, and I quote, I wish there would be a good fairy to give each child a sense of wonder so indestructible that it would last throughout life, end of quote. I am encouraging each of us to recognize how our faith and passion are contagious in the wider world when we serve with love. And how can we be the work of that good fairy for the next generations? I've been thinking a lot about viruses these days. I'm sure they haven't escaped your notice either. I'm not technically immune compromised, but I do have a pretty ineffective immune system. From a childhood spent with chronic illness and lots of antibiotics. So it's typical that anything that comes along will get me sick. I hate when I go to the doctor and they ask, have you been around anyone who's been sick? And I think I have two young children one in public school and one in daycare, and I essentially shake hands for a living. So yeah, yeah, probably I've been around someone who's sick. If my kid comes home with a runny nose or a fever, the odds are he will be better in a couple days and I will be sick for two weeks. Meanwhile, my husband has an immune system of steel and he almost never catches anything that comes into our house. It's just the way it works. The thing about viruses that is different than bacteria is that they're sneaky. They hijack our own cells and they trick our cells into doing the work of replication and reproduction for the virus. Viruses, unlike bacteria, can't replicate on their own. They're not alive, so to speak. So they land on our cells, they inject their DNA, and then they trick our cell into using that DNA to multiply on behalf of the virus. Sometimes, depending on the virus, it's more complicated than that. But despite how awful it is for our health, it's a pretty amazing evolutionary strategy for the viruses. I have to give them that much. And so what do we do with that? We try our best to avoid letting the virus into our body. We wash our hands, we clean the surfaces and the air, we avoid sick people if possible, we add some distance between our bodies, we wear masks. And if the virus does get into our body, hopefully we have been able to be vaccinated to keep the number of hijacked cells to a minimum. In addition to re reducing symptoms for the vaccinated person, the vaccine can also help prevent the amount of virus that then that person can possibly shed onto other people, particularly protecting people who can't be vaccinated, like elders and young children or those with compromised immune systems. So I've been 
thinking a lot about viruses. And the other thing I've been noticing as we think about this latest surge of COVID-19 is the way we behave, particularly the steep rise in anger, frustration, rudeness, and outright misbehavior in many corners of our society. I heard on NPR recently that airlines have seen twice as many unruly passengers in the past year than in any other year. Twice as many. Restaurants report customers screaming at their wait staff. Hospitals and doctor's offices find themselves dealing with angry patients and families as they strive to care for a huge influx of sick people. Even churches are not exempt from these trends. I have read countless stories on social media from colleagues who have been outright mistreated by people in their congregations who are lashing out in the only place that they feel safe to do so, their church. The problem with this kind of negativity is that it can be contagious. Imagine a time when you were on the receiving end of someone's bad mood, criticism, or anger. Did you leave that interaction feeling like, ah, what a great day? Likely not. Usually those kind of interactions take me a long time to shake off. My own bad mood might then spread to others around me and so on. So what do we do? How do we protect or inoculate ourselves from that kind of negativity? I have three strategies to suggest. They all help me and I hope they can help you too. And I've described them here in terms of virus mitigation just to keep this metaphor going. So let's show the slide. Number one, wear a mask or gratitude practice. Number two, wash your hands, refuse to pass it on. And number three, vaccinate or side with love, service to others. So number one, wear a mask. This is your first line defense. And when we're talking about negativity, this looks like a consistent gratitude practice. Cultivating a stance of gratitude provides an ongoing defense against hopelessness, anger, and general grumpiness. But that cultivation takes practice. Every morning or every night, I try to think of several things that I am grateful for. Sometimes we might have big things to be grateful for. An upcoming trip, a new baby in the family, an exciting opportunity at work. But most of the time, the gratitude is small. I'm grateful for a warm coat in this cold weather. I'm grateful for this music, for my transportation to work, for my opposable thumbs, for this juicy pear. Remembering these small gratitudes can be even more powerful in helping to develop that mask that protects us. One practice that I find particularly helpful is to flip the things that I am not grateful for on their heads. When I was in college and stressed about all the reading that I had to do, I would say to myself, I am grateful that I can read. When someone is critical of my work 
here at the fellowship. I think I'm grateful for such a meaningful job that my work impacts people deeply. When my kids are driving me bonkers, I think these beautiful children were my deepest desire. I am grateful for them. I am grateful for daycare. A consistent stance of gratitude is the basic protection against the virus of negativity. It helps me ward it off before it can get into my body and before it can spread any further. Number two is wash your hands. Protect yourself in case that virus has gotten onto you. Don't pass it on. When negativity comes your way, especially if it's not about you, and holy moly, it's often not about you, it is important to not be a multiplier of the virus. If you're in customer service, you know this. People are often angry about things that you can't control what's in stock, how fast the meal is ready, when the installation will happen. The negati negativity comes right at you and you have four options. Number one, return the negativity back to the person, usually by being mean or rude back to them. Number two, pass it along to someone else, the chef or the manager. They should be the ones who are getting the brunt of this negativity. Number three, you could absorb it and seethe. Or number four, you can wash it off. Option four is, of course, the healthiest way to handle this. It's not easy, but passing it along or absorbing it doesn't actually help anything. Finding a way in your own heart to recognize that this negativity is not about you, nor is it even really about the chef or the manager, it's just this person's issue. In the branch of counseling called systems theory, this is called self-differentiation. Self-differentiation is the recognition of where you end and where someone else begins. Their bad feelings are their own. You do not have to take them on, nor do you have responsibility for fixing them. And neither do you have to dish them back. Just let them go. Sometimes I even say to myself inside my head, this is not mine, this is not mine. Sometimes I even physically wash my hands as a way to help those feelings run through my body and out again. So I don't have to carry them around and so I don't spread them any further. And finally, number three, the biggie, vaccinate or in the case of negative feelings and behavior, finding a way to bolster yourself to actively resist the virus of fear, frustration, and anger, if it does manage to permeate your defenses. Kindness and service to others in the wider world provides a kind of inoculation to the negativity that you might encounter. When you widen your lens to the greater challenges and needs in our community, when we make an effort to be of service, to spread love and kindness, when we take actions to further the cause of justice, these practices train our heart and our mind to recognize the negativity before it multiplies inside of us. 
and then it transforms our outlook back into one of hope and love. It's harder to join in the grumbling when you're worrying about the safety or well-being of people in your community that you're working to support. It's harder to get caught up in drama when you're focused on helping others. Kindness and service to others are also contagious, and they can have a huge impact on those who are also feeling the symptoms of negativity. I know when I am having a grumpy day, a kind word from someone can almost miraculously help turn it around. When I'm feeling worn down by the anger, hate, stress of the world, a couple hours of selfless action can bring me back to a state of hopefulness. Today is Side with Love Sunday, and the UUA has lots of resources on their website, sidewithlove.org, or you can go to their action center at sidewithlove.org slash action center. There's lots of ways to connect to our national faith-based justice efforts. We heard from three fellowship members earlier in our service about how they side with love in their lives and practices. Our Justice Action Ministries, or JAMS, here at the fellowship are constantly offering ways to help people get connected with local justice causes. You can find more by clicking the link in the, in the scroll newsletter for the Justice Hub, or by going to our website, fvuuf.org slash justice hyphen hub. It's always there to find out what's going on and how you can get connected. Siding with love means that we recommit ourselves to our UU values, to making love real in the world. We can't fix everything. We can't overcome every injustice, at least not alone. But while negativity is contagious, so is love. And when we work together, we can make a meaningful impact. I know the world is extra hard place. It's an extra hard place to live right now. Collectively harder than many of us have seen in our lifetimes. I am with you on that. I feel the stress of the constant changes and pivots that we are all having to make over and over again. I honor the decision fatigue, especially for those of us with the responsibility of caring for parents, siblings, or children. I acknowledge the exhaustion of the news cycle and the anger that people won't just do what I think they need to do. I am with you. And and siding with love acknowledges first that there is a love. There is a love that is greater than each of us individually, a love that holds us all in its embrace, whether you call that love community or hope or the universe or God, that we want to align ourselves with that love. Aligning ourselves with that love is not a toxic, positivity or false cheerfulness that denies the reality of harm in the love in the world it it is a commitment to being love's body in the world 
which means we need to know what our hearts and minds and voices and actions are spreading. We need to know and protect and inoculate ourselves from that negativity and instead choose to spread love over and over again. Amen. And may it be so.